This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Are we ready? I guess not. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Scorn Videos. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. It is Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. 651-646-8255 are the numbers to dial if you want to get in on the show or tweet us at S-K-O-R North. I'm Rami Makloff along with Judd Zolgad in our lovely palatial TCL broadcast studios in lovely Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jonathan, other side of the glass, and uh, Phil Mackey is with us, but not in studio with us. Phil Mackey. Hanging out with the bigwigs at the ESPN headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut. And, Mackie, I understand you have a, a special guest alongside you this afternoon. Yeah. Not? I, I'm told that uh, Jason Fitz and I are in the old, this is like the old Bruno and Golick studio from oh, the late 1990s. <laughs> that's old. legendary wow. right there. Yeah. That I mean, is legendary. This is, we've got sort of the wood-paneled windows in here and uh, a clock to, to Jason's left that looks like it's about 25 years old. Uh, your fun fact on this studio, I do, uh, L. Duncan and I do a podcast about music for ESPN. We cut in this studio very often. I didn't realize the history of it. We always just look at it and say, well, nobody knows we're here, so we can get away with it. <laughs> right. so, so for the audience, Jason Fitz from ESPN. You can find him on SportsCenter Snapchat, the Spain and Fitz show, uh, also a Grammy award-winning fiddle player from his time Wait, uh, with the band Perry. Really? Yeah, you, you guys didn't know this about Jason. I, I, I knew that. Know, yeah. I, no, know, I knew that. I've heard of, I know of the band Perry. But I did not know that he was part of it until you said that in an email to us today. I never, I never put those two together. Uh, your fun fact again. I'm full of fun facts today. <laughs> uh, my, I, I have. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to say that I was nominated for 13 Grammys in my uh, in my life. That's the one Grammy I won was not with the band Perry. The recording that they won a Grammy for, I was not on, so I didn't wow. get a Grammy for it. My Grammy comes from like a Michael W. Smith uh, Christian record that I played. Uh, I played some string stuff on. So like so it's before or after it's, the band Perry? Or it was pre band Perry, and actually the year that TBP was up for and won the Grammy, I had played on a track by somebody else, Brandy Clark, uh, that was also nominated. So I was like, do I nominate? Do I do I root for the people I'm in a band with now that are my <laughs> bosses, or do I root for my own Grammy? Yeah. I was rooting for my own Grammy. I lost. How, so how often do you? I mean, so I. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm taking this completely off the rails from the get-go. No worries. Hold on, just just to localize it, can the Vikings win the Super Bowl this year? No. Okay. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was great stuff. Quick answer. Uh, Is Gerson Rosas going to fix Andrew Wiggins? Uh, No. Okay. There we go. All right, cool. I'm on a roll. These are layup questions, Jason. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really. Here's the fix for Andrew Wiggins. Stop taking 20-foot jump shots, you moron. Okay, we'll get to that later in the show. 
Um, so do you do you sharpen your? I mean, this skill set, this world class musical skill set. How often do you still sharpen that, or are you just into? Are you all in on sports radio and sports media? Well, a hundred percent, I'm in on sports media. I mean, that that is. I tell people all the time. If I'd wanted to stay in the music business, I could have. If I'd want to go into inter- entertainment reporting, I could have. I picked sports because that's my passion, that's my love, and I worked really hard to build a podcast. Uh, from the ground up that eventually ESPN took note of. And that's, I, I made the career switch. And, you know, when I quit the band, it was to take a show on ESPNU and the way my contract worked is they could fire me after one appearance. I had no idea how I was going to keep the lights on. If it didn't work, I knew I wanted to work for ESPN. So all in on that. That being said, nobody changed. I've played the violin since I was four, you know, so nobody's going to take that, that away. Like I'll still, I still play a lot of piano, a lot of violin. Like I sit in with people every once in a while. I still make music. I'm just not in the music business anymore. And I'm very glad for that. Yeah. So you started um, at so, four years old? Yeah. I started playing the violin when I was four. Wow. Um, by the time I was eight, I practiced eight hours a day. I play, uh, I got into Carnegie Hall when I was 10. I played, uh, I, I got into Juilliard when I was 10. Um, I was supposed to be a little classical music uh, child prodigy, and then eventually as I continued to grow up, I found out that uh, singers have to practice a lot less and girls like them more, so uh, <laughs> eventually that transitioned over to uh, to singing, and I was singing in a band that, that kept getting and losing record deals, and we were going to hire a fiddle player, and I was like, well, that's pretty ridiculous. I can figure out how to play fiddle, so that was the foray into that, and before you know it, you know, I, I ended up touring with a, a bunch of different acts, most notably was with the Van Perry for about six years right after a fight I Young uh, became a big hit was when I, uh, it was becoming a big hit as I joined the band and I, I was with them until I came to ESPN. Okay. I have, I have a, a totally random question. So Garth Brooks was just at US Bank Stadium for two nights. Yes. And it's, uh, it's the first time I had seen him. One of the, if, even if you're not a country music fan, that dude puts on a three hour show and just owns a 70,000 uh, person stadium. But I couldn't help but notice, like, at, at, toward the end of the show, as he's soaking it all in, he continued to tell us it was one of the three greatest nights of his life. Like this was, is that like? Do you think he's being honest? How often when you're on when when you're in music, do you have to tell an arena full of people this is the greatest night of my life in terms of you know, just hooking them? So when uh, when I was out, we were out on tour at one point with Brad Paisley and uh, Brad Paisley. Uh, for for anyone that's never seen a Brad Paisley show, at the the end of his show uh, for the encore, he brings all of the bands that were out on that tour out together for a song called Alcohol, and everybody goes out to the stage, and a fake Brad Paisley, like a mascot version of Brad Paisley, runs around the stage, and there's a big bar that gets brought out. The bar, by the way, when we were on there, had little, uh, it was shots of vitamin water. Like, nobody was drinking, but you go out and you take a shot. I, I say that because I could set my watch by the exact, like, I'd go up on the bus after our set, I'd change into Raiders gear from head to toe because it's been a sad life for me, wow. and then I would watch Family Guy, and I could look at my watch and be like, all right, it is 1052. <laughs> Got to go to the stage. And you could set your clock by it. I hate to, like, I hate to burst the bubble for people, but uh, I've seen Garth many times and it's always one of the three greatest nights of his life <laughs> at the exact same spot. I'm sorry, Garth. You're, you're the best, but it's always, always that. I got to say, Fitz, I'm, I'm a little upset with you, man, because I don't think you know sports talk radio. That's for a bunch of guys like Phil and Judd and myself who have no talents outside of getting in front of a mo- microphone, bloviating and pretending and we know something about sports. And you have so many things that you can do, and yet here you are taking jobs from talentless jamokes like Phil, Judd, and myself. Look, there's a similarity between the two industries. Everybody listening thinks they can do it better and thinks you stink, no matter what you do. Come on, it's the same thing. Like, doesn't you put on the show of your life on stage, or you do the best show ever in front of a microphone, and you look at Twitter, and you're like, God, why do I do this? Yeah, that's true. Hey, Fitz, um, Fitz, uh, bigger pains athletes 
or musicians, just as far as as their demeanors, as far as egos go, which group is a bigger pain in the butt, do you think? Oh, my God, musicians uh, all day. But I will say this, not country musicians. And I'm not just saying that because I toured in country. One of the funniest things to me is, like, there are two big award shows, the ACMs, Academy of Country Music Awards, the, the Country Music Awards, the CMA. So the two big shows. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but when you play those shows, there is literally one dressing room for all men, one dressing room for all women, and everybody hangs out. So it's like the, the men's dressing room, the women's dressing room, that's it. When we, like when I Die Young was doing so well and we were crossing over and all of a sudden we were playing these pop shows like American Music Awards and Billboard Awards, like every artist has their own room. Not only that, I have a buddy that's the drummer for Bruno Mars. And I was like, I text him. I'm like, oh, come say hi. No, I couldn't. I couldn't get from security from one room to the other. I'm like, we're playing the same award show. So musicians by far way more high maintenance than athletes, how which much, is saying something. How much for, for some of the top, I want to know this about singers in particular, because how do you not, if you're doing two and a half, three hours, if you're, whether you're a country or not, how do you, how do you go on tour for, for five or six months, you know, multiple nights a week and not blow your vocal cords out? Or how, like, how much practice and prep work goes into being at the top of your game on tour, whether you're a musician or whether you're a singer? Uh, you know, a ton, honestly. And most singers that are singing live that are doing really heavy workloads actually sing really soft. You would never imagine it, but they're actually, you know, you almost struggle to get enough sound out for a mic because that's the way you save your voice. You never want to over, you want, never want to push too hard. But I said a long time ago when I was touring and, and our busiest year, uh, we were gone. We were on the road almost 300 days throughout the course of the year. And how do you make sure that the people that bought a ticket in November get the same show that the people that bought a ticket in February? Like, how do you make sure that you're giving everybody their money's worth, right? That's the reason why, especially for country, for, for industry that tours year-round, there's more protein powder on tour buses than there is Jack Daniels. Like, there's this perception that it's a wild party, and there are some nights that you let loose. But for the most part, you're like, all right, I got to eat right. I got to take care of myself. Like, I walked into catering, and they always had, like, grilled chicken and green beans on the side. And you're like, yay, this is exciting. And then after the, like I said, I'm watching Family Guy drinking a protein shake and I'm like whoopee you know it's but you have to because you have to take care of yourself otherwise you just end up spent or you know in and out of rehab which is a, a terrible way to live did you ever I come across probably, oh sorry go ahead phil no no rami go ahead well did you ever come across somebody who who didn't live that healthy lifestyle and somehow just just kick just kick butt on the road and it didn't matter what they ate how they slept how much they drank or or any of that other stuff you talked about yeah miranda I mean, my God, like Miranda can go out there and part. I like Miranda can out party anybody and it just doesn't affect her. Then she goes out and out sings everybody. I'm like, that's a gift from God. I don't know how you do that. But, but we always like look back at the 80s. I got my first concert was uh, Bon Jovi Skid Row. I'll never forget that. I grew up that oh in that God. era. Right. Wow. So you think back to like. I don't know how Axl Rose did it. Like, how's Axl Rose, A, still alive? I mean, I, I, I make fun of Fat Axl all the time with the leather pants on, but hey, Fat Axl's still out there getting it. Like, I don't know how he survived the 80s. I also don't know how he didn't lose his voice, how he was able to put on shows. I mean, that, good, good on him. That was a different era. I mean, I saw, and I know that I, Steven Tyler has probably been to four different off and on rehab stints, but, um, Aerosmith, I went to Vegas a couple weekends ago and saw Aerosmith at Park MGM. He's 71 years old and throwing fastballs. I mean, that dude, he's, crazy. he's, crazy. he's singing Dream On at 71 and not cheating any high note. And I'm now John Bon Jovi on the other hand, who I also love. John Bon Jovi for 25 years has been letting the crowd sing the high notes on Living on a Prayer. Right? Oh, let's so let's be honest. Like the real talent of Bon Jovi was always Richie Sambora. Thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> the minute he left the band, they weren't hitting those high notes at all anymore. John John is just out there, like you know, dancing. John's like Luke Bryan. He's just out there dancing around in really tight pants, and the rest of it just figures itself. That's out. how Judd does the show every day. Actually, really, congratulations, boys. I got one name for you, Keith Richards. 
Keith Richards mm. is still alive and well, and it's a miracle. It, it's a yeah, testament well, to one thing, genetics to me. <laughs> yeah, and, and to deal with the devil. Like, there's got to be, right? Like, there's no way yes. Keith Richards is still... Like, he gets, he gets home and he unzips his skin and hangs it on something, <laughs> and he's actually like a ghost or something. That's the only way. It's the only way. <laughs> what is... So, I, I, lo- I think, like, you hit on a couple of the biggest misperceptions in, in the music world. What are some of the biggest mis- misperceptions in the sports world or in sports media, sports radio? Uh, the number one misconception that people have, and people are going to roll their eyes when they hear this, is, oh, I could do that. And, and I say that because like my first, my first uh, foray into this business, like I said, I started a, uh, ESPNU. I had a show with Mike Golick Jr., and that was our first uh, you know, college football daily, was our first uh, ever attempt at this. And, and then right after that happened, I was lucky enough to, to be offered a, a co-hosting on the local show in, in Nashville uh, where I've lived for 20 years and get the morning show. And there's like the third day in a row where you've got four hours a day, and you're like, well, we talked about Marcus Mariota the first and the second day. What are we talking about today? Like this, this whole concept that most people have of like, oh, you have the easiest job in the world. It really is, especially like when you're, when you're talking about local stuff, it, it's so difficult to sit there and say, okay, I have one Titans game, one Vols game, and one Preds game. That's a, you know, or two Preds games this week. That's, that's my content. And I have to fill 20 hours of radio on that. That it is a, a much, to have something interesting to say every single day really is a studied skill that I think most people don't realize. And you can come in for a day and do it. You can do it for two days and do it. When you're on like week two, you're sitting there, you're like, well, I think we did all these Marcus storylines. I mean, how often have you guys had to, to answer the question, did Kirk Cousins deserve $84 million? Like that's that, how do you make that interesting over and over and over again? I think that is the, the trickiest part of sports media. And, you, you'd say that, you know, maybe you could do it for one day, but once you start piling up two, three, four days, at, at the station I worked at before I came here, Fitz, we did a contest where we gave a listener a show for a day. It was like a Saturday or a Sunday morning. <laughs> and literally before the first segment was over, my I was a producer at the time. My boss called me and said, can you please drive into the station and try and give this guy something to talk about? Because he's got an hour and 50 minutes <laughs> oh, no. left on the air, and he was just done. He had burned all the material that he came in with. Are we talking sports with Fitz, or are we, what, are we, what are we doing? Can I ask him sports questions or? Yes, okay. please ask am me I, anything. Am I crazy? Are we? Am I prisoner of the moment? Is this recency bias or are these NBA playoffs just amazing, Fitz? They're incredible, uh, and I think this is what we wanted and we're begging for, especially from the Eastern Conference. Like we knew we were going to get four teams left in the East that were going to give us not only entertaining style of basketball but also entertaining personality. And are we in, in, in getting that? I mean, we're getting that in every way, shape, or form. The only regret I have is that we're getting Rockets Warriors right now, and that's unfortunate because it, next series is going to feel like a letdown, no matter what we get. I mean, the the Denver Portland series has been entertaining, and I, I believe Portland will win that series. And it's a great story, but it's going to feel like a letdown. I think one of the things we have to remember about the East particularly is it's not just about the basketball we're seeing right now. It's about leveraged risk because all four of these teams, if they don't win in this round, have will have a tough sales pitch. If Toronto loses, what's their pitch to keep Kawhi, right? If the if the 76ers lose, let's remember that they got they traded future assets for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. That could cost them in the future, and they may not even keep those players. If the Celtics lose and Kyrie walks, what are they going to 
look like next year. And for Milwaukee, they have 14 months to prove to Giannis Antetokounmpo that he should go nowhere and he should sign a Supermax deal. So all four of these teams aren't just playing for right now. They're playing for the future of their organization. And when you add that level of it, to me, it's the best reality TV we've seen in the NBA in a decade. Is Golden State a sure thing in your mind at this point now that the Rockets have tied that series at two? No. And, you know, I think I went into the playoffs thinking Golden State was a sure thing to make it out of the West. Yes. I still I went into the playoffs saying I thought Milwaukee could beat Golden State. I still think when Brogdon comes back healthy, let's remember they're missing one of their best players. When they get healthy, I still think that Milwaukee right now has the ability to beat anyone. And as much as we talk about the lack of experience that they have, I think there's a little bit of an element of young and dumb to that that works. Like, you don't really care about, like, you're playing with house money with the moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, you can look at what Golden State is doing, and we can excuse it any way we want to. But the fact is, Clay isn't playing particularly well. The fact is, for the first time, we have to look at Steph and say, what the heck is going on? They have one Great player that nobody knows how to stop. But guess what? So does Milwaukee. So even if the Warriors make it through this series, I'm not willing to say that they make it through Milwaukee. I will say this, too, and I'd love just your quick thoughts on the Timberwolves who just made a huge change again, firing you know, front office and trying this reset button again. The Milwaukee Bucks are proving we're, we're almost out of this you-need-three-superstars thing to go deep and to win championships. The Bucks might win the title this season with Giannis and a great system and some great let's call them second-tier complementary players. I don't want to minimize their roster, but it's Giannis, and then it's Tier 2. And the Wolves' vision would be Carl Anthony Towns and Tier 2 with a system that works. Shoot more three-pointers, uh, be more efficient, stop taking 20-foot jump shots. So if you're the Timberwolves, are you more hopeful if they can implement a modern system around a Carl Anthony Towns, fence? Yes, and I think part of that comes from the fact that you have to look at the coaching change and what it's meant for Milwaukee, right? Like it took somebody coming in and saying, hey, here's the way you work the system. Now, Giannis is in a in a much different level than Carl Anthony Towns. So I don't think they can necessarily do it with Carl Anthony Towns and a bunch of role guys. They're going to need maybe a second person that can be a better step-up person than, than Milwaukee has at this point. But I think for the rest of the NBA, you've got to look at it and say, wow, if you have the right form and function – you can do it. And guess what? You can do it in a non-traditional market. You can do it in a small town. It doesn't matter where you are. If you get the players to buy into that something can happen there, they will buy. And, and that's why I think the entire NBA should be rooting for the Bucks right now. Because if Giannis stays in Milwaukee, Milwaukee's going to be a force for the next 10 years. That's good for small market or non-traditional mega market basketball in the NBA. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North. Mackie out here, uh, and we'll explain this later, but at ESPN headquarters today, hanging out with Jason Fitz from ESPN Sports Center Snapchat, the Spain and Fitz show. What podcast can people find you on right now? Uh, well, Spain and Fitz goes out as a podcast every day, so you can absolutely check that out. Um, I'm also regularly on Golik and Wingo, so you'll find me all over that, too. And then Ellen Fitz Talking Music is the ESPN music podcast, so it's out there also. Awesome. Uh, we're going to come back. Hey, guys, what what, uh, what are we going to dive into with Roy Smalley on Twins next? Just uh, how how wide open and really there for the taking the AL Central is for the Minnesota Twins with the the uh, the bad news for the Cleveland Indians in the last week or so. Right now, Mackie and Judd with Rami talking Twins when we come back on the all new Score North. Because what you listen to doesn't come from just one source. We offer Minnesota sports. Minnesota sports. Lots of it. Whenever you want it. Wherever you are, even when you're mobile, on the move, remain grounded with access to the content that you're passionate about. Get it all here. Score North Minnesota Sports. Anytime, anywhere.
scorenorth.com. And Roy Smalley's appearance this week is brought to you by Doug's Power Equipment up in Blaine. Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. I'm Rami. There's Judd Zolgad. And uh, joining us now, as he does every Tuesday at this time, former twin and now part of Fox Sports North pre- and post-game show, it's Roy Smalley. Roy, how are you this afternoon? Terrific. How are you doing? Doing doing well. Since the last time we talked, the uh, the Indians had more problems and, and more go wrong for them. And Roy, I'm, I'm never a guy to root for an injury, but I do, as soon as it happens, look at the the real world on field impact that it has and when i saw that i i i said immediately if you didn't think so before the al central is definitely the twins for the taking now with Corey kluber out for an extended period of time well i'd have to say so i mean it's just really sad that um, that happened to a guy of his caliber and and happened to the indians as much as i want the twins to beat the indians uh, you just hate seeing the, the truly great players and good guys uh, have to go through that. Uh, but now, as you, kind of, as you allude, I mean, now that it's happened, you look at that and you say, well, I think the, the balance of power shifted just a little bit um, uh, in, uh, in the Twins' favor. So, you know, you've got to play it out. There's, a, there's an awful lot of performance yet to happen from Lindor and Ramirez, who, you know, Lindor's been out. Uh, Ramirez hadn't hit well yet. They will, and they can carry the club with you know with average pitching, uh, you, know, you know, much less with Kluber. So they're not out of it. Uh, but yeah, the balance has shifted a bit. Right, a month plus in. What does it say about the Twins that they are consistently able to follow up a dud with a good game? You know, it's um, it, it's partly a reflection of their personality, uh, which is which is good to see. It's partly a reflection of um, I think the, um, the the caliber of uh, players that they have now. I mean, the the veterans that they brought in and the young guys becoming veterans. You know, emerging as as uh, guys that should be that should consider themselves veterans here pretty soon, if not uh, if not already. But it's also a question of a function of pitching. And uh, in almost every case, after they've had a clunker. Uh, the starting pitchers come out the next day and, uh, and and pitched really well, and that's that sets the tone for everybody else, and and uh, that's what they that's what they've done. So, with pitching being a question mark uh, going into this season, to have them pitching the way they are so far is very encouraging. Talking with Roy Smalley of Fox Sports North here on Mackey and Judd. With Rami, and not only does this team show resiliency from game to game, as Judd just pointed out, but it seems like every time the opposing team score, the Twins come back and and put some runs up on the board themselves. And we've talked before here on Mackie and Judd with Rami Roy about the the chicken of chicken or the egg argument of of the confidence of that dugout and that lineup. It, can you tell us? Does the confidence come first, or is it just is it just that this team is that good and has that many professional hitters up and down the lineup that that's why we see them able to bounce back when the other team strikes? I think it's more the latter, uh, but I mean you can't really separate the the, uh, the ability and the confidence. I mean those two things go uh, together so much uh, that it's it's it, I don't know which comes first, but it's the, but they're inseparable and. And you've got a bunch of guys uh, on that club, uh, and Cruz being the leader, uh, who are professional hitters, and and just you know one game to the next, they're just going up and doing what they do, and 
Uh, I would say that C.J. Crone is that way, and Scope has been that way. Marwin Gonzalez, even though he's not hitting well, he he kind of brings a, a, a presence of uh, of calm confidence because I, you know we've done this before. We're going to do it again, and I think that rubs off on. Uh, Kepler, uh, Kepler and a Polanco and a Rosario and a Buxton and you know and, and so it, it it's all working really well right now. Those guys can hit, and I believe they believe they can hit. And and when a team, you know, we, when you're on a team, and, and I've I've been fortunate, I, I was fortunate for my career to be on some of these kind of teams where, when you know you can hit, there there's a calmness and a and a and a, and a, a quiet. Um, uh, confidence about uh, that nothing can phase you because you know you can throw up eight runs just about any you know who knows when it's going to come but it's probably soon. Martin Perez has been absolutely great. When, when you watch him now, do you see a sustainable thing here? Is this something where he's eventually going to have to make adjustments himself, or have they done so much work with Perez Roy that he's reached a point now where, where this is just a different guy than the guy who came back from injury and struggled last year with the Rangers? I think he's a different guy, and there there are caveats about that. I mean, he's throwing the ball so well in such good spots that you know that can all change. You know, you, that, that cutter that he's developed. I, on the one hand, I would say is it's reminiscent to me of Andy Pettit's cutter. I mean, he just he's just pounding right-handers in you know uh, in on them, and and they don't know what to do with it. And then uh, to complement that, he's got. Now instead, he's got 95 for you know for a fastball, and he's got a little changeup. This from a guy who was a 90 mile an hour sinker ball pitcher trying to figure out what other pitch he might complement a, you know, a sinker with had you know no confidence. He's out there right now with three plus pitches that he's just burying on guys, and and um, uh, you, you know that can always change. You know, cutters. You know, when they're not thrown where he's throwing them, when you just you know flop one over the middle of the plate, those go a long way. And we've seen that a lot from guys that want to throw, you know, the cut fastball. But right now, you know, he's going at every hitter like with whatever pitch it is. Here, here it comes. You can't hit it, and and it's it's because the stuff is is real. I mean, 95 miles an hour and an 89, 90 mile an hour cutter. Uh, that's real stuff, and and I think he believes that now, and and that's that's what it looks like he's uh, look like he's doing, which is which is great. This might turn out to be one of the all-time great uh, examples of you know scouting, uh, knowing a player, knowing what might happen, and turn him over to a to a pitching coach that um, that you know can coach him up to such a drastic difference. I mean. You got to so far. You got to look at uh, at Falvey and Levine and Wes Johnson, the pitching coach, and say, "Okay, that's pretty good stuff." Have you ever seen a transformation like we're seeing with Martin Perez? You mentioned Wes Johnson. We've heard a lot about the 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 tweak mechanically that they made with Martin Perez opening his hips up towards home plate a little bit more in his delivery and adding a couple miles to to his fastball with that, as as you alluded to. And then you add the cutter, you change his approach to to hitters. Have you ever seen something like this where where a guy is? is plucked from kind of anonymity by a team and, and they make some tweaks and all of a sudden he's a guy who looks like Andy Pettit out there on the mound? You know, I don't remember any anything as um, as drastic um, as this is um, from a guy that's already pitched uh, in the big leagues. You see, uh, you know, Johan Santana comes to mind. Um, 
and uh, you know, but nobody really knew. I mean, he came up, Rule Five guy in the bullpen. Uh, he comes up with that changeup, and then comes up with a style of pitching that um, you know is conducive to you know the fastball, the beautiful fastball changeup combination, and he becomes you know a Cy Young Award winner. Um, the only another guy I think of is uh, Frankie Viola, who always had pretty good stuff. When he first came up, he was fastball, curveball, threw a little slider, threw a change. And he became a fastball changeup pitcher, and it catapulted him to the Cy Young. So that there, there's a there's an example also. But the, uh, again, he was a young player. I don't, you know, emerging and just got the right coaching there. I don't remember, you know, I, I don't know, not on every team, you know, over the years. I, but I don't remember having seen a guy thinking a guy that this guy's got nothing. This guy's easy to hit a little sinker and, you know, and, and nothing much. And then all of a sudden thinking, I don't know if I can handle this fastball. I don't know if I can handle this cutter. I mean, it's just, a, it's just, it's a totally different deal. Pineda is trying to get him on track. Roy, is this, is this just going to take time or, or is this conditioning when, because he starts out games, I think, okay. When you watch him right now, do you see a guy who you have confidence in, or uh, should what we've seen so far, especially by the time he gets through about the third time through, be a legitimate concern? I've seen both from him this year, and I don't think I, I don't think you give up on him by any means. I think it's probably a little bit conditioning. That's what it looks like. Um, what happens is he it looks like he goes through the lineup once and and sometimes twice, and uh, by the third time. He lo- he just loses command a little bit, and and um, he didn't pitch that badly in New York. He he had, got a lot of swings and misses. Uh, he had a long battle with uh, uh, the little left-hander Talkman that uh, finally a three got he in order not to walk him, he threw him a three and two fastball down the middle, and then the guy hit a two-run home run. Other than that, you know he's keep he kept the uh, the Twins in that ball. He was going to keep the Twins in that ball game. So I, I think he's really worth. Continuing to see how he uh, develops from a conditioning standpoint, and whether or not he can uh, he can throw the ball uh, where he wants to. It's not overpowering stuff, but it's the, again. I mean, the fastball changeup combination I think is the best in baseball, and he's got enough fastball with that split finger change that if he's you know if he's in condition and he's and he's throwing the ball where he wants to, I think he can be effective. A few more minutes here on Score North on fifteen hundred and scorenorth dot com with former twin Roy Smalley of Fox Sports North. It looks like Miguel Sano is going to rejoin this ball club here in the very near future, Roy. And and by all indications, he's done everything the Twins asked him to do as as he rehabs and has looked very good and performed well as he makes his way back to the major leagues. If you're Rocco Baldelli in this Twins team, do you go out of your way to find at bats for for Miguel Sano when he does get to the big league club, or do you not want to rock the boat with things going so well right now? I would make him earn his way back here. Uh, frankly, I mean, he's he's hit a couple home runs. I mean, he had one nice day in uh, in A ball um, where he hit a home run and two, and two or three singles uh, in, in a game, but not a whole lot more other than that. I I believe Miguel Sano should be able to hit an A ball. Uh, and he went to, you know, he, that was good. Uh, he went to he went to Double A and and uh, hit a home run and struck out three times. You know, in, in his second game uh, there, I mean, he hit a bomb of a home run, from what I understand. Uh, I believe I believe Sano should be able to hit in Double A, and so you know, I I think that going out and getting Marwin Gonzalez is it was it was a great move. It gives him the great luxury of saying. 
Yes, Miguel, you've done everything we've asked you to do in terms of getting yourself in shape. Now the next thing you're going to have to do is prove to us that we've got to get you up here and take at bats uh, and defensive reps away from Marwin Gonzalez. And uh, uh, so, um, I mean, I think that's the way they are. I, I, that's where they are. I think, they, I think he needs to hit his way up here. Hey, Roy, that being said, too, um, explain to me your thoughts on the clubhouse dynamic as well. Because I think the clubhouse dynamic internally in 2018 was not great. You had guys that signed late. You had guys that probably weren't too happy about their uh, their uh, lot in life at that time. The clubhouse dynamic, the 2019 twin, seems to be good. I'm not insinuating that Snow is going to goof that, that up, but I do think they've got something that's pretty special. How um, how mindful of that do guys like Rocco and Thad and Derek have to be to not goof with the chemistry that seems to be working very, very well right now? Well, you know, uh, chemistry is, 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 is a different sort of animal. I mean, you never really know what's going to uh, make it work. I mean, you can't make it work. It either, it either works or it doesn't. And I think the chemistry is, is good right now, but... But I also think that everybody recognizes that, I mean, you're not going to give up on Miguel Sano. You're not going to say, sure. you know what, this guy may not fit with the chemistry here. So um, he's hitting $9 million in AAA, but I don't know if, 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 the chem- if it'll mess with the chemistry. I mean, he's, he's one has been one of the key guys to this organization uh, for a long time and, and will be that until he proves that he's not that. And that's why I say, He's got to hit his way up here. I think it would not be good uh, from a chemistry standpoint to have him hitting a buck eighty in in double A AA and triple A and bring him up here and say and hand him a job again. I mean, why would why would you do that? But on the other hand, if he go if he uh, you know hits his way back and you and you say, holy cow! I mean, he's he's conquered triple A. Uh, he, he's got he deserves to be here. Then I think all the players in the clubhouse are going to be happy to happy to have that potential, you know, walking in the batter's box. That's former Twin Roy Smalley. Catch him on Fox Sports North pre and post game show, and every Tuesday at four twenty right here on Mackey and Judd with Rami. Always appreciate it, Roy. Thank you very much. All right, guys. We'll see you. There's Roy right, Smalley. And, uh, of, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Phil. I thought I was going to do that. Oh, no. <laughs> No, you go. No, you you go. You go ahead, and then just lob me a softball, and I'll talk about the best car dealership and service department in the Twin Cities. I can do that. It's a really it's a real easy transition <laughs> because we just talked with the best baseball analyst in the Twin Cities and Roy Smalley of Fox Sports Northville, which leads us right to the best auto dealership and auto shop in the Twin Cities. Take it away, my friend. <laughs> Uh, and we, uh, I've got some follow-up Twins questions for you, gentlemen, uh, when we come back to here. But Luther, by the way, Toyota. I'm sorry if I'm not informed today. I had the CHS Field Food Day, and I am sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a daze. I'm not even quite sure where I am or what time it is. He's not well. I can I'm, confirm. I'm sw- literally, whenever my mic isn't on, I'm either yawning or burping, Phil. This since, since this I, show started. Yeah, it's a I delight like here in the studio. Need, for, for every one of these food tours that we put you on, we need to do Rami Cam after it's over. Like just like four hours of Rami Cam just to see what what it, what it's like when you're sweating profusely and that gassy. That's what we need to see. Um, you know, the rough winter has left us with some pretty nasty potholes, which can do a number on our tires and suspension. So driving out of alignment can lead to a number of bad things, including bad tire wear and poor handling. And that's why Luther Brookdale Toyota is here to help us. They've got a full-time dedicated tire specialist on staff 
to help bring your vehicle back to life with these nasty potholes. Bring your vehicle in for a quick check to the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, and they'll make sure your alignment is good and make sure you're safe on the roads this spring. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Thank you, Jonathan. Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. Go get that Score North mobile app available for Apple and Android. And uh, the more you listen there, the more points you'll rack up, the better chance you'll have to win some cool awards. Like I said, available for Apple and Android. You can uh, subscribe to all your favorite podcasts there. Give us those five-star ratings and leave your comments. Judd and I in the TCL Broadcast Studios here in Minneapolis. Phil Mackey, he's a big deal. He's sort of a big deal. He's in Bristol at the ESPN headquarters hanging out with all the big wigs there. We just talked with Roy Smalley of uh, Fox Sports North, some twins. And, Phil, I brought up with him the the impending scenario, which is that Miguel Sano is headed back to the big leagues here in the near future after the uh, the laceration that took a while to heal on the back of his foot. And there's only so many at-bats to go around for this Twins team. And the guys who have been swinging the bats for him so far have been doing a pretty good job. How how would you handle it? How do you think Rocco Baldelli is going to handle the the return of Miguel Sano and, and how to get him at-bats? Yeah, it's, it's a weird scenario, sort of like you outlined, Rami, in that their greatest strength right now is not only their hitting, but their power hitting, right? Mm-hmm. And so... The thing that's carrying them is also the thing that Miguel Sano would, in theory, add to the lineup. But but you're not deficient in that area. So uh, I would I would hesitate to take away position flexibility, to take away Marwin Gonzalez and uh, and his glove compared to Miguel Sano's. So I, I I it's it's tough. But I mean, if you can add Miguel Sano and take your lineup to an even different level. And you know now, if your starting pitcher gives up five runs, maybe it doesn't matter because you've scored eight because Miguel Sano hit a three-run home run. Uh, I am curious to see his bat in this lineup that's already amazing. I mean, just think about the damage that Nelson Cruz has done, that Byron Buxton has done at the bottom of the order, and uh, Scope has started hitting home runs. I mean, you're adding... If Miguel Sano is is performing at his peak like he was maybe three years ago uh, in the first half of the season, and you're getting that guy back, uh, he he is one of the best power hitters in baseball. I also though like just to to cater to where I think Judd is is probably going to go with this. I just want to see what he looks like to see if you can get, maybe increase his value for trading for a, a number two starter. I I don't think if he here's what's going to happen if he starts hot. Let's say they put him in the lineup next week or wh- whenever later this like this weekend, and he comes out ready to rock and and he's hitting home runs. I don't automatically look at that and say all right. He's he's a cornerstone player, and he needs to be in the lineup every day for the next five years, and now we can start thinking about a contract extension. My first thought might actually be, okay, quick, find a trade partner before he gets hurt again or before he starts to dip again and strikes out 250 times. I just don't, I don't trust him, you know, I don't trust him unless I see it for two or three years, and I don't know if I want to play this out for two or three years. So, boys... Thad Levine, the Twins GM, joined us on the uh, Score North Twins show yesterday and, and was asked by Derek and I about this very it's topic. Score North First Place Twins show. Yeah, you We've know what? The name of no, it. no, I changed it to Score North First Place Twins show, except when, when they play in the Bronx, in which case they're not really a first place team <laughs> because there really is a jinx that you didn't believe in, Rami. Um, and Thad basically said, one, the plan is now he's going to uh, continue to play for a while at double A. Then he's going to triple A. They're, they're not going to take shortcuts here. And, and if he hits well, that's great, but they're not going to uh, rush him back. 
where Thad went in a very interesting direction, and I completely believe this to to be the case, I don't think there's any BS in this, is also when he gets here, he's not necessarily going to play on an everyday basis. He's going to be spotted in, and so I said, it makes sense if you do that to play him some third, some first, and DH, and Thad said, absolutely. And and there is a clear edict or um, attempt here to not play 38-year-old Nelson Cruz every day, Phil, and sure. so I think what we are going to see is is one, Sano, when he gets back to the Twins, is not going to be an everyday type of player. He's going to play, but there's going to be times he's not going to be in the starting lineup. And I also think that there's a very probable chance that while he will play some third, that you're going to start to see him incorporated a bit at first and DH as well. But yeah, the the, the first base thing because CJ Crone, uh, you know, I, I don't think CJ Crone is long term here. He's older than Miguel Sano, so you could. You could make the case that if he's just going to thump and play first base, that that could fit for the next three to five years. I could listen to you on that. But all all the things that you're you guys are talking about with Miguel Sano, whether it's putting him on display to to up his trade value, or whether it's trying to finally figure out if he's the guy that they thought he was when when they signed him and and brought him up through the system with with the high expectations that he's had, unless you're willing to really dedicate or commit. A certain amount of at bats to him, you're not going to really be able to accomplish either of those goals, are you? There's a certain amount of time he's going to need to spend on the field, whether it's you're trying to find out for your own purposes what this guy is, or you're letting, trying to let other teams see what this guy is for potential trades in the future. Sure, yeah. He's got to get on the field, right? You have to yeah. make at bats for him somehow, regardless of what your intentions are with Miguel Sano, don't you? Unless you're just saying, you know what? No, I think you do. No, we no. give up. We don't really care if Miguel Sano succeeds because we're good enough now. But I, I think the important thing too here to keep in mind is is this is a potential in in some ways is trying to make a decision on him and, and his future, and it might be for you, but it might be for a different team. And so if he DHs some, plays third base and first base, that's fine. But I, the Twins are smart enough now, Phil, I think, to know that, that they've got something special here, that this group a, as a whole works, and that if Miguel Sano is incorporated in a wise way, he can certainly help unless he is eventually dealt. But I also think that a lot of lessons were learned last year when that clubhouse was not a great place. And so Miguel Sano is not going to be treated specially. I think he's going to be treated fairly. But if you want to eventually go in the direction of trying to trade him, that's fine, too. But I don't think that they are going to rush him on any front. And I buy what Thad was saying, which was they're not going to rush him back and immediately play him on a daily basis. That does not mean that he won't get at bats. Uh, can I ask you guys this about Byron Buxton, who is uh, he's now through the month of April and one week into May. And if you were to just take these numbers and extrapolate them throughout the rest of the season, I think we would all very giddily walk to the betting window and cash our ticket, right? A two sixty three average, getting on base at a three eighteen clip. He's slugging almost almost five hundred. I don't know if anyone has more doubles than he does right now in the American League, and he's on pace to steal thirty or forty bases and play gold glove defense. Are you guys buying in on Byron Buxton having turned the corner? Or if not, how much more do you need to see? I'm pretty well bought in. I, I think I think that you can expect this from Byron Buxton or something close to this for the rest of the season. It's not like, and like we've talked about with a lot of the players on this Twins team, Phil, it's not like this is a guy who just came out of nowhere, who was, you know, some unknown prospect in your system. This is him finally living up to what the Twins expected when they drafted him. We've all known that the talent, the skills, the tools 
have been there with Byron Buxton since he came into this league. I, I think we're seeing more of what he was now than than we were seeing when he couldn't find the baseball and, and was, was chasing breaking balls, especially with no discretion and no regard for strikeouts whatsoever. The speed has always been there. The glove has always been there. We've always known that if he can get on base at any sort of decent clip, he's on, he's on second base, maybe even third base, almost automatically and giving your chance, your team a chance to score runs. I have, I have a lot of faith that we're seeing the real Byron Buxton finally for the, for the twins. Give me a season. I need a season. I need, I need months of, of this. And by the way, this is fine. If this improves, that's fantastic. But if you say on September 1st, after basically an entire season, he's going to be, let's say, 265, hitting for some power. The speed is obviously uh, there and not going to go away for a while, I believe. But I've seen months before, and, and I like I love the attitude now, but I need a season. I really do. Um, I don't need a full season because I think like if he's, I, I need a half season. I don't, I don't feel a hundred percent comfortable yet. And I think if we got a little closer to the all-star break and it was, cause we've seen it for a month before we've seen it in September. We've seen, I think we've seen it in July before and August. Uh, the, the, the fact that we're seeing it in April for the first time, has he, I mean, he's, he's been unplayable pretty much every April of his career, right? Judd, I yeah, don't think, been sent down I don't May think we've times. ever seen. He's always like four for sixty in April, and they have to send him down to the minor leagues. And at least, at least now he's it. It looks clunky sometimes because he's just become a dead pull hitter. But you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of guys who've made their living as a dead pull hitter. And uh, if if he can continue to just do what he's doing, then uh, then we're talking about one of the more valuable players. I have another question for you guys too, since I'm rattling all these off. Uh, I know that Collar posted a poll. To score on Twitter about Dallas Keuchel, mm-hmm. and uh, if you missed it, Dallas Keuchel spoke publicly and told Yahoo Sports uh, yesterday afternoon, "quote If you would have asked me on the first day of free agency, I would have said no way I'd still be here on the market on May sixth. This was not the plan at all. I would love to be out there playing ball and helping a team win because my career at this point, I've done more winning than losing." And then he goes on to talk about how he's not being greedy. He just feels like if you look at the analytics and what front offices are looking at, he deserves a certain amount of. Uh, you know, dollar signs over a certain amount of years. We don't really know what he's targeting, but now that we're getting toward the the June deadline here, where you don't have to give up a draft pick, where are you guys at with? Because this ain't going away. I mean, the Twins are leading the division. The Twins are the only team in the division with a plus run differential, and they have to start thinking about adding whether it's a Keuchel or a Kimbrel in free agency, where you don't have to give up a prospect. Um, or give up prospects via trade. Um, I would if if it's if it's bringing one of the two guys in in free agency. I'd feel much more comfortable with Kimbrel because I just think it's easier to heat up as a reliever than a starter when we're talking about missing all these games. But it's pretty rare that you can add a top-notch piece middle of the season as a contender and not have to give up one of your top five or ten prospects. I ran this by Thad, and and of course me being me, I I sort of t- told him what I think about this. And my feeling is this. You know what? If you sign him now, if you sign Keuchel now, it's going to be around, what, June 1st or so. or And then he's not going to be set till July. And, and I just I am of the firm belief that this team is being given a window of opportunity, Phil, where they need to explore pitching and starting pitching for sure. 
but I'm not signing a guy who I don't know what he's going to come back. He's going to have to go to Rochester or Double A and pitch for a while and go on some type of spring training tour and stint. And then he's going to be here maybe in July at some point. So I firmly believe that the Twins need to pursue uh, starting pitching. And if that guy could be a uh, 1B to Barrios, that'd be great. I don't think it's this guy. I think it's too much. I think it's way too much to, to ask of any pitcher, a starter, to say, oh, you know, you've been pitching sim games in your backyard, and now come pitch for us. I think if this had been done in spring training, maybe, but to me, the uh, the clock has expired on the Keiko conversation. I think it needs to go to trading prospects for a starting pitcher who's active right now. I would look at it, but I wouldn't let the allure of of not having to make a trade and giving up prospects like you talked about, Phil, to to stop me from exploring other possibilities. If you look at Dallas Keiko and he works out for you and you think, okay, this guy's ready to go, he's ready to step in and help us win baseball games now, then great. But if there's somebody out there who can do that better, can do that to a higher degree, and it means losing a few prospects, I think they're at a place right now, or will be soon before the trade deadline rolls around, where that's a sacrifice you should be willing to make. You're in a win-now window, it looks like, if this holds up for, for another month, month and a half, leading up to the trade deadline. Two names, boys. It is Strollman. Strollman. Uh, who, who started and didn't pitch well last night against the Twins. And then I believe on um, Wednesday in that series, they're going to face Aaron Sanchez. Both of those guys, according to reports, are going to be on the block here at some point. Do they intrigue you, either one of them? Um, Stroman a little bit. Because mm, this is the path I think a, this is going to go down. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still on the Bumgarner. The Bumgarner train is rolling in my head. I need some Bumgarner in my life. <laughs> Um, just saying. That sounded really sort of weird, but I got you. I know what you're saying. Uh, Judd, tonight we have one of your favorite things, a Game 7 in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, correct? Yes. And so I've been here at ESPN headquarters all day long, and uh, like once or twice a year ESPN will bring in radio affiliates and, and update them. And so it was my goal to track down someone, someone that you know, to have a Game 7 conversation and all things hockey when we come back. We're going to surprise you with a hockey guest. Oh, this is awesome. Back. Okay. Wow, thanks. Uh, but, bef- but before we do that, let's talk about TCL. We are, uh, at, at Score North, we are all about TCL TVs, strewn amongst the studios and hallways. TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand for a reason. It's a combination of superior 4K picture quality and Dolby Vision and connected entertainment options with the built-in Roku device. We're talking about 4,000-plus streaming channels and 450,000-plus TV shows and movies. You name it, it's streaming with that built-in Roku device. The best part is whatever you subscribe to, cable or satellite, you can toggle back and forth with an easy remote control cable on one side and your streaming channels on the other. Endless entertainment and the most streaming content of any TV, bringing entertainment to any room in your house. You can stop by any major local retailer in the Twin Cities and stare at one of these shiny TCL TVs for yourself. Compare the connected options, compare the price, compare the uh, the the screen itself. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand and proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Mackie and Jeb with Rami coming back shortly.